Did it just get brighter in here? <laughs> we definitely have to pray. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this group of people whom you love so dearly, so deeply. We ask, Holy Spirit, for you to fill each one of them to touch their lives. I pray that they would be open to what you have for them, that their minds, their hearts, their spirit would be open to yours. And whatever they're dealing with that may be harmful to them, that may be destructive, that may be distancing them from you, Lord, I pray that you would bridge that gap. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I asked John Kim to share with you guys, and, and he used this text from Romans 8, verses 26 through 27. And so since that time, that's just kind of been replaying for me. And so I'm going to take this evening as an opportunity to look into that scripture a little bit more deeply. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, it should be on iTunes. John shared from these verses about his mom and him being ministered from this. And let me read these verses to you. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Notice what the Spirit does. It's in the last verse there. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, our prayers are not meant to change the mind of God. That may be shocking to some of you, but that is the truth. The purpose of prayer isn't to convince God how things ought to be or, or for Him to think that, you know, God, you've just got it all wrong. Let me give you some more information so this thing changes a little bit. We are not going to convince God of anything. In light of this verse here, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now in light of that verse, do we really want to change the mind of God? Right, God who plans for our welfare, and the Hebrew word there for welfare is shalom, shalom meaning peace, shalom meaning safety, shalom meaning completeness, and not for evil. So do we really want to change God's mind about giving us a future and a hope, knowing that he is slanted towards this way of shalom? God's plan for each one of us is so superior to anything we can imagine on our own. To think that we can come up with a better plan than God is just foolishness. It's foolishness. So if our prayers are not meant to change God's mind, why pray? Because the purpose of prayer is to open our hearts and our lives to let God do whatever he wants to do in our lives. For the things that he knows best, for those things to happen in our lives. Now one of the ways that we have been made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, is that we have the ability to choose. We have the power of choice. We've been given free will, the ability to exercise choice. God does not disregard our free will because if he did, there would be no purpose in having it. Yet we exercise choices every day. Now, of course, God influences our choices, but he does not force us to go against our will. God allows situations, conditions, stresses, problems to come into our lives to influence our choices, but he doesn't violate our free will. He lets us resist his will. God knew before our prayers what we were going to pray, right? 
And every good thing we've asked God for, He already knew, and He looked forward to giving us those things. So we don't have to convince Him thinking that our prayers are going to change His mind. Prayers do not change God. Prayers change us. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So God is all-knowing, so do we really want to change the mind of God who knows everything? Prayer's purpose is not to change God's will, it's to shape our will, and it allows for our will to be shaped by God to be in a line with His perfect will. I'd like to point something out that Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now you notice that last phrase there, the last part of that verse. He may give it to you. Jesus did not say he will give it to you. Jesus did not say he might give it to you. He said he may give it to you. Now what does that tell us? It tells us that God's on our side. Right? It tells us that He intends to give us good things, but it's in His wisdom that He may give you what you ask for. And when we pray, it opens the door for God to work so that He may give us what we ask. We are opening up the door to our hearts and our lives for God to enter and do work for His will to be done in our life. Now, not all of our prayers are in, in accordance to His will, nor all of our prayers are good even though we might think that they are, right? Like, you know that prayer, like, Lord, just help me win the lottery. I was praying that one too, and it was like hundreds of millions. It was, that was too, but I never bought a ticket or anything, so there's no way for me to win. Anyway, but some of the prayers that we pray, we think they're so good, but they're actually not, right? There's an element of faith that we have to live with and be at peace that when we pray to God that he knows better than we do, even though we think that this certain thing is really good, but we have to kind of surrender that to God and understand that he knows best. Now in prayer, there's this, well, in real and genuine prayer, there's a pattern to it. Real and genuine prayer, it starts with God, and its purpose and desires are found in God. So real prayer originates from the heart of God, and, and from His heart, those prayers are put on our hearts. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So genuine prayer originates from the heart of God. He inscribes His law on our hearts. Right? Psalm 37 verses 4 and 5, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. So true prayer originates from the heart of God. His desires are given to us. They're placed on our hearts. And we reveal those desires back to God in prayer. And so as I make my desires known to God, the desires of my heart, something for us to keep in mind is this. Is that desire from my spirit or is that desire from my flesh? And to figure those things out because there's a huge difference in those things. The desire from my spirit originates from God. It originates from God. The desire from my flesh originates elsewhere. And so the desires from our spirit, they start with God and then it moves us. It, it moves within us. It moves my heart to pray in partnership with the desires of God's heart. So you see the pattern, how it originates with God. It comes to me and then it goes back and there's this pattern that goes with it. And it starts with Him. 
changes my heart, and then I pray my desires, which are now in line with His will, praying back to God. Our hearts open to His goodness, His desires, and flowing in us and returning. And not until our mind, our heart, our spirit, they're open to God. May God do what He intends to do for you. You know, God loves you deeply. And He wants to enter your life fully. But He won't force His way into your life. God is not a criminal. Right? He's not going to violate you. God is looking for people whose hearts are in line with His. Let's look at an example of this. King Azza. King Azza was told by the prophet Hanani. Hanani was this missionary from Hawaii that went to Israel. Just kidding. Kanani, right? In our Bible, it's just H-A, so we say Hanani. If it's Hanani, it's Hawaiian, but it's not. Anyway, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Kanani said to King Azza, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You see that? How God is looking for people's hearts who are in line with His. For our heart to be in one accord with His. And He's looking all over the earth. His eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to strongly support, to make Himself known, make His glory and power known, to make His love known to the hearts of those who are in line with His heart. And God is actively looking for open vessels to be filled with His love so that His love can be poured out of us. Open vessels who are of one heart and one mind and one spirit with God. Not until that can the vessels be vessels of blessing and of love and of power. Now, what do all of us need to pray for? Every single person. Not one is excluded from this prayer. We need to pray for the will of God. We need to pray for His will. For our will to be in alignment with God's will. For our heart our mind, our spirit to be in agreement with that of God's. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. So we need to pray for the will of God. And when we pray in agreement to God's will, we can have confidence that He will hear and answer our prayers. Praying in accordance to His will welcomes God's desire to be made manifest in our world. So we need to pray for God's will, but one of the challenges that we're faced with is knowing God's will because we don't always know it. Right? How many times do we ask ourselves, Lord, if this is Your will, if this is Your will? It's just simply because we just don't know it. So we go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So one of our weaknesses is that we don't know what we ought to pray, that we don't know what the will of God is in every single facet of our life. So we don't know. And we're faced with this type of situation all the time in our personal life. We're faced with this in our church life, where we don't know the will of God and we don't know what to pray for. Now, an example of this is our church. We have benevolence at our church, and oftentimes people will come to the church asking for money. One of the most popular things to ask for for the money is transportation, that people want to use it for gas or they want to use it for BART fare or bus fare or something like that. And 
So we have to be mindful of the stewardship and the responsibilities we have as a church. And so we have to be thoughtful about financial resources. And so we have to wonder, is there a more fundamental issue that we're dealing with here in terms of the mismanagement of funds? Or is it simply that we do give them the funds to pay for the transportation? And so how do we pray for these things? Do we pray God give them the money to pay for this transportation? Or is that really not the issue? Is there a different issue that we need to address? Because maybe God's desire for them is to develop a more wisely manner of handling the funds that they do have. And so maybe by giving them money for their transportation costs, we're actually disrupting what God is working out in their life and not allowing them to go through the exercise of figuring out, you know what, I'm mismanaging my funds. Maybe. I mean, the situations are different and whatever situations are out there. We have to prayerfully consider each case, and it's a case-by-case thing. We can't just have a broad brushstroke and say everyone falls into this camp or everyone falls into this one. We have to figure those things out. The point is, is that we don't know what to pray for as we ought in every situation, which is one of our weaknesses. And many times, we don't know what God is working out in our own life, let alone someone else's life. So how in the world do we know what to pray for in seeking the will of God for someone else when we don't even know for ourselves? We can't. We just pray for those things. We pray in faith and we act in faith. God said in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know that phrase, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. A lot of the time it is. Most of the time it is. Right? And I've, I found that to be true as the years just kind of go by for me. That not all of my desires and not all of my prayers were in God's will. Right? That there were prayers when I asked God to do something for me or, or give me something and they weren't in His will, but I couldn't see it at the time. Right, whether it was like previous jobs or previous relationships or previous things I wanted and all these kind of big kind of issues in my life and I thought like, oh Lord, this is what you want for me, but it wasn't. Now you go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Now when the subject of groaning comes up, my mind instantly goes to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we meet this woman named Hannah. Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah, and Elkanah had another wife named Peninnah. And this wife Peninnah was taking jabs at Hannah, and this is the problem. It's in verse 2, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now back in that time and in that culture, not having children was considered a curse. Like something's wrong with you. If you don't have children, something's wrong with you. God's not happy with you, or, you know, you did something. Very superstitious. So Peninnah would just continually take jabs at Hannah about this. Verses 6 and 7 tell us what Peninnah would do to Hannah. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And so Peninnah would continue taking these pot shots year after year because, you know, she knew that Elkanah favored Hannah. The Bible tells us that Hannah was given a double portion. 
right? So, you know, he kind of played favorites here. Even though Hannah didn't give him any children, he still kind of played favorites. And so this provocation, this irritation from Peninnah towards Hannah, year after year, look at verse 4, because I find this very telling. It tells us that she had sons, plural, and daughters, plural, multiples of both. So she had at least four, right? And so year after year, you know, kids running around like, oh, look, I'm pregnant again with my 15 kids and you have none, right? And she'd just be like, ha ha. And then the next year, I'm pregnant again, you know, another one and my 16 children. And, you know, she just, come on. So let's pick up the story, verse 7, 1 Samuel chapter 1. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? That's what I tell my wife all the time. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. Now notice this. Notice how God led Hannah to be in line with his desires. And you might be asking, well, how's that? We've got to look at history. Back in this time in Israelite history, things are not so good. Actually, things are pretty dark. Things are pretty bad, especially spiritually. We know that at this time that Eli is the high priest, and he had these two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were evil. These were evil men. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, this is what's recorded of them. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. That's the backdrop, right? So as these sons of Eli, they were supposed to take over the spiritual leadership of their father Eli when he died. These guys were supposed to be the religious leaders of the nation. Now, what good is a priest, a religious leader, who does not know the Lord? As it says in 2 Samuel chapter 2, that they did not know the Lord. So you see how Israel's future spiritual life is not looking so good. Actually, it's crashing. And God knew His people would need a strong spiritual leader to lead them out of the spiritual darkness that they were already in and put them back into an intimate relationship with Him again. And God would use a woman to deliver a man to do that. Does that sound familiar? Right? God using Mary, delivering Jesus, bringing us out of our darkness. And so here in this time of 
Israel's dark history, he used Hannah to deliver Samuel. Now back in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6, we're told that the Lord had closed her womb. This continual provoking from Peninnah, year after year, that God allowed, caused such a grievous irritation that Hannah, back to verses 10 and 11, was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. You see how Hannah's prayer and desire was totally in line with the will of God. God is looking to and fro for people to have that heart that heart of spiritual alignment. And you see the spiritual alignment in Hannah's prayer and the will of God. And God brought her into alignment with His will, and she prayed in alignment with the will of God. And when that alignment happened, He could answer according to her prayer because it was spiritually aligned with His will. God's will was to provide a spiritually strong leader to lead his people out of spiritual darkness because right waiting in the wings is Hophni and Phinehas and that's a bad way to go. And so Hannah's prayer and desires fit that perfectly. Now did you notice how Hannah prayed? She was so distressed that verses 12 and 13 record, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. So in other words, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, groanings too deep for words. Now we find another example of this groaning too deep for words in King Hezekiah. In Isaiah chapter 38, let's just read that starting in verse 1. It says, In those days... Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amaz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Now this is what I want to point out. You jump to verse 14, Isaiah 38, because Isaiah describes what Hezekiah's prayers were like. Verse 14, Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. So you notice that Hezekiah chirped like a swallow or a crane. He moaned like a dove. And so you look back to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So Hezekiah's chirping Hezekiah's moaning were his groanings too deep for words. Now, isn't it wonderful that we don't have to be eloquent and articulate in our speech to God for him to understand what we're going through? Right? That in our intense sorrow, in our pain, in our grief, in, in our troubles, we don't have to say a word and he understands. Right? He translates our groans into these articulate prayers of intercession. And those troublesome experiences are sometimes allowed to bring us into a spiritual alignment with His will so that those inarticulate prayers, those groanings that we have that are too deep for words, they'll be answered. 
Because he does know our pain. He does know our hurts. He knows what we desire, and, and he desires to answer them in a way that is best for us, best for everyone involved. We are exhorted to pray in the Holy Spirit. In Jude, verses 20 and 21, it's written, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul wrote about spiritual warfare. He wrote, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He then goes on to tell us how to arm ourselves, what to arm ourselves with, to withstand evil and to stand firm. And after this preparation of spiritual warfare, he wrote this in verse 18, praying all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So how do we pray in the Spirit as Ephesians and Jude have instructed? What does that mean? Well, one way we've already kind of talked about, that is groaning in the Spirit. Chapter 8, verse 26 of Romans. Another way is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 14 through 19. Let me share these verses with you. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. When we pray in an unknown tongue, when we pray in the spirit, our spirit prays, but my mind doesn't understand. It's unfruitful to my mind. So what are we to do? We pray in both ways. We pray with our spirit, or we pray with spiritual tongues, without our mind understanding, and we also pray with our mind. When we do mindfully understand what we are saying, what we are praying, we sing. We sing praise in the spirit. We sing in spiritual tongues, and we also sing praises with our mind, with understanding. But we don't exercise those spiritual gifts of tongues in a church setting that's typically happening here on a Sunday service. Why not? Verses 16 and 17. If you give thanks with your spirit in spiritual tongues, how can anyone else say amen, meaning how can anyone agree with you or affirm what is being said? Because your thanksgiving, no one is able to understand what you're saying. Right? So you may be giving thanks and really mean it from your spirit, but the others around you, they're not being built up. The church is not being built up. And then Paul said this in verse 19. In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind. Meaning, words that people can understand. Right? Words that if I said them, you can agree with them. You can affirm them. Then 10,000 words in a tongue. Why is that? So that others benefit. So that the church benefits. It's not just me. So when we're in church and there isn't someone in the church to interpret tongues, you have the gift of tongues and you want to start sharing that, just hold your tongue. Right? Just relax. Because in church, not everyone can interpret tongues. 
and people won't understand what's coming out of your mouth. And so without an interpreter to translate, the person that has the gift of translation of tongues, the people in the church won't be able to, to say amen. They won't be able to affirm. They won't be able to agree with what you're saying. Speaking in the Spirit, speaking in tongues is a great way to praise God. It's a great way to exercise thanksgiving, but not in church without an interpreter. But feel free to exercise that spiritual gift if you have it in the privacy of your own home or when you're taking a walk or all that you want. Or at a time when we've set aside a time that is appropriate, like the second Wednesday of the month that we're going to do. I'm just going to use the book of Corinthians and we're going to just take one gift at a time once a month, and we're just going to go through it. And then we're going to use that second half of worship to see how it manifests itself. Right? And at that time, I don't have the gift of interpretation, but if at the church at that time we do have someone with that gift, then we would welcome someone to speak in spiritual tongues. But if not, hold your tongue. Right? And we just wait. Now you might be wondering, why pray in the Spirit if I can't understand what I'm praying? Why do it? Well, there are several great benefits in praying in the Spirit, even though you don't understand what you're praying. One of the great benefits is that you can be confident that those prayers are in alignment with the will of God. Because the Spirit knows the will of God. So when He makes intercession, you can be confident that He is leading you in agreement with the will of God. Another great benefit of praying in the Spirit is that it opens up the limited expression that we have as physical beings because we're limited, right? We're limited, we're finite beings. We're limited in language. We're limited in thought. We're limited in just even physical space. But yet when we're praying in the Spirit, there's a spiritual freedom that's opened up to us to give thanks and to give praise without limitations of our finite thoughts, of our finite language. And sometimes there's something inside of me that is incapable of being expressed physically or verbally, like the love for my children, even though I tell them all the time I love them, there is something deeper that I want to say, but I don't have a word for that. right? Or even though I hold them all the time and I'm expressing love to them physically, there's something more. And if I squeeze them any harder, I'm going to be like Lenny of Mice and Men. And, I, you know, <laughs> and it's not going to be good. And so the closest thing I've had to do is just grab them and just... You know, and, and I love you so much. I, I, I want to stuff you in my heart. And that's the closest thing. I'm just like pressing them inside. And they're like, oh, bad. And they're turning purple. And I'm just, oh. You see how finite it is, though. It's so limited. I can't even do that with my children, let alone my God. How am I going to express that to my God who I can't even hold like that? Who I can't even touch like that? There's something more. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 16, Paul wrote, If you give thanks with your spirit. He wrote about thanksgiving there, but there's something about giving thanks in the spirit without understanding it. Sharing your love without understanding it. Right? It's just like grandiose thing. It's completely raw. Right? It's uninhibited thanks. It's a truly free expression of thanks that is a sincere, genuine, unfiltered thanks. It's not filtered by my thoughts. It's not filtered by my intellect. It's not filtered by my feelings. It's a free-flowing, just from my spirit, no filters, straight to God. Isn't that awesome? Nothing 
in the way of expressing thanks to God? You can do that in the Spirit. I can't do that thinking about it. I can't do that being mindful of, oh my Lord, I, how I love Thou and thankful for Thou grace toward me. You know, it's so limited. A third great benefit in praying in the Spirit is that it removes selfishness from our prayers. So many of our prayers are selfishly motivated. James wrote in James chapter 4, verse 3, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now James, like the rest of us, knew that our prayers could be selfish. And just thinking of ourselves, desiring things for ourselves, spending it on our passions, completely selfishly motivated. But when we pray in the Spirit, not understanding what we pray in the Spirit, we can't be selfish in our prayers because we don't understand what we're praying. It's a completely pure prayer. It's just there, again, without the filters, without things getting in the way, without selfish motives. A last benefit of praying in the Spirit I'd like to point out is that it gives us the means to pray for things that we get absent-minded about. And I think all of us know this. All of us are very well-intentioned people who when people ask us for prayers, we really want to pray for them. But like you and me, we're all alike, I think, we forget. Right? We forget. So the thing for me is when people ask me for prayer or when it's in an email or something like that, I just do it right there. Because if I wait, I'm not going to remember. I just do it right there. And so this is something that praying in the Spirit helps with. Because I think all of us have really good intentions to pray for people, but you know, life happens. And so when things are out of sight, they're out of mind, and we just forget. And so when someone comes back a week later and they're like, oh, thank you for praying for me, I'm like, yeah, you're welcome. Did he answer? Like, and you just forget those things. But the great benefit about praying in the Spirit is the Holy Spirit directs our prayers and He uses us to intercede for things that we forget about. He brings it back up. He reminds us to pray for those things, for those people who need prayer. And, and He keeps us truer to our word to pray for others. When we told people that we'd pray for them, it would happen. So, what if you don't have the gift of tongues? Or if you don't have the ability to pray in the Spirit? What then? Groan. I even heard it here, just now. All of us can do that, right? Mm-hmm. We can groan. We can chirp like a bird. We can moan like a dove, right? We can do all these things. We groan. And we open the door for the Holy Spirit to intercede in our prayers. Now, we don't groan the whole time, though, right? I mean, don't do that. Paul wrote about that. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 15, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. We do both. We are to pray with our minds also. To pray with a mindful understanding. Right? So articulating our desires, our passions, and our wants in a thoughtful manner. Asking the Holy Spirit to direct our prayers. To be in alignment with the will of God, with the Holy Spirit. He can lead us and we can be confident that our prayers will be in line with God's will. And when we pray in accordance with God's will, we can be confident that God will answer favorably to our prayers. And there are many things we already know that are in alignment with the will of God. And you may ask, how? 
because they're in the Bible. It's in the Holy Word. And so you know that if it's in there, it's in the will of God. If the will of God is already present in the Word of God, you can be assured that those prayers will be answered. Right? Examples of this. I'll just give you three because we need to wrap this up. One is being a bold witness of Jesus. You can rest assured that God will answer your prayers in regards to being a witness for Jesus. And yes, there's an element of faith when you exercise evangelism. But you can be confident that that is the will of God for you to share your faith in Jesus and that he will empower you by his spirit to be his witness. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know you're going to get that one if you ask. Another example of the will of God already present in his word. If you pray for God to draw you closer to him, your prayers will be answered. James chapter 4 verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, you might not like how that manifests, but he will answer that. Because oftentimes, drawing nearer to God is through suffering. It's through pain. It's through uncomfortable circumstances. But he will answer that one. Another example of the will of God already present in his word, God filling you with his Holy Spirit. That one's in the bank. That That one's done. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's done. You can ask for that and you're going to get it. Again, how it manifests? Usually through suffering. Usually through pain. Usually. Usually. So these are examples of prayers that we can pray with confidence because they are in His Word. Because they are in God's Word, they are His will. You know that. And when seeking the Lord's will, if we find it in God's Word, we can be assured that those prayers will be answered. And now if it's not found in His Word, I don't know. Only God knows. We don't know. He might say no to that one. But if we ask for His Holy Spirit, that's not a no. You're getting that one. Right? The other stuff that's not in His Word, we don't know. So that's when the Holy Spirit intercedes and helps us in our weakness. He will intercede for us with groanings too deep for words. Now how wonderful that God is working in our lives and is answering our prayers even though we can't articulate to Him what's happening. Maybe there's too much pain for us to be able to even verbalize what we're going through or what we're feeling, yet He interprets our groanings to serve us and to minister to us, moving in ways that are beyond our ability, beyond our giftings, beyond our talents and our resources. Our prayers are powerful when God is behind them. And may we seek the will of God in our prayers and invite the Holy Spirit to move in our prayers. Let me just close with Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, what we started with. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind 
of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your understanding even though at times we are incapable of verbalizing what we want to say, how we feel, and yet you know anyway. I pray, Lord, for those who are in difficult circumstances and situations, Lord, and things are just too deep for words for them to even express verbally that all it is is a groan, and yet you minister to them just like you ministered to King Hezekiah, just like you ministered to Hannah. And so, Lord, I pray for those folks who are in those difficult situations. I pray, Lord, that you would give them the prayers to align with your will. God, thank you for the promises of your word. We know what's in your will already. And we pray for your strength for the prayers that we have where we just don't know. We don't even know what we ought to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.